Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. Today's episode is part of our special series, Making a Difference, Supply Chains for a Better Tomorrow. Now, the current COVID-19 pandemic is creating many supply chain disruptions for companies and organizations all around the world, but it's also serving as a catalyst for change and innovation. So what supply chain capabilities uh, will separate the leaders from the laggards, not only in response to this current crisis, but to position yourselves for success over the long term? Well, that's the main question we're going to focus in the series. And it's great to have, uh, you know, John back in the program with us to kind of share his insights and perspective on this topic. And uh, so, John, welcome back to the program. Yeah, appreciate coming back. And uh, so, so John, John, you're the you know vice president of supply chain analytics at, at Transportation Insight, and you were our, our guest on the uh, on the program here not too long ago. But it's incredible, you know, it's just been a few weeks, but it's incredible how things have changed just in a matter of weeks, right? Oh yeah, I mean it, it's like a different world, and, and every day you wake up and it's a uh, new new challenge, a new opinion, and everybody's so well, what's next? Exactly. So, and that's really the question, what's next, right? Because I think, you know, um, and that's really what we're trying to do with this series is, you know, obviously there's the here and now and, and how to navigate successfully through this, but, you know, we got to also be thinking about longer term and how, you know, how can we, you know, take this, um, you know, less than ideal situation and convert it into something that's going to be positive, you know, over the, the, the long term. Um, so, so as I want to get started, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, the, the COVID-19 crisis is disrupting, you know, many supply chains, but it's also accelerating a lot of the trends that have been happening, you know, for a number of years now, in particular, you know, e-commerce, right? So what impact or challenges is this, is this creating for companies? You know, I, I think the biggest thing is companies trying to figure out what's going to be temporary and what's permanent. We're, we're just in this, this bit of chaos right now where everybody's got an opinion, um, but nobody really knows who's right. And so I think the challenge is that companies are going to have to completely think differently. Uh, the saw an article th this morning that said, Hey, we shouldn't forecast anymore. It should be all about demand sensing. Okay. Well, you know, in our, in our last call, we talked about how change is hard for, for uh, companies and change management. And so now we're not talking about changing a process changing a system. We're talking about having to change how you think. Um, and, I, and I think companies have to figure out how, how do I make my supply chain agile? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. I think in many ways we almost have to, and I remember writing a, a, a blog post about this a few years back, but it was, it was call, you know, I was talking about having to unlearn, you know, some of the things that we've learned <laughs> in the past, right? Because, you know, some of the things that might've worked, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, as this environment uh, continues to evolve and change, as these trends that we talk about continue to evolve and change, you know, the, it's kind of common sense that, you know, yesterday's rules for success and ways of thinking may not be the best aligned with, you know, the current environment and the way things are going to be, uh, you know, the operating realities of, you know, of, of the future. And certainly, you know, when you look at something like e-commerce, you, you know, the, the, you know, it's been growing, you know, strongly for, for a few years now, but you know, a lot of now retailers that probably smaller retailers that probably weren't doing e-commerce that, you know, have their stores closed. Now, you know, the only way they can generate revenue is through either curbside pickups or order online and pick up at the store, or they're, you know, trying to stand up, you know, e-commerce operations. And many of them 
are trying to do that, you know, right now. So that's creating some, you know, challenges as well as opportunities for them, right? Yeah, you almost expect to see people on roller skates, you know, coming out of the store, <laughs> going back to the 50s. Yeah, no, exactly. Actually, I've seen that some of the restaurants here are planning to do have outdoor seating and do almost like the old 50s style, you know, the, the drive up, you know, someone on roller skates going up to the car window to take the order <laughs> and deliver the food. So, yeah, in some, some, in, in some cases, it might be back to the future in, in, in some ways. Um, so, so, so what changes should then companies make in light of everything that, you know, the, the, that's happening now and as they begin to think about the future? I mean, what changes should they start making uh, to position themselves for success moving forward? You know, I think, you know, we talk about the supply chain a lot and the supply chain has this connotation to it that it's sequential. And we've seen with, with all the e-commerce development over the last several years that, um, you know, you take something like dropship. Well, well now you're not being sequential. You're, you're skipping steps. And so even though I don't think we've been calling it, it's more become a web. And, and so you think about how you would interact in an environment where, you know, you can go backwards and forwards and around. Um, and, and so I think, you know, for success, you've got to start thinking about it that way. Um, so it's not, and it's not just the physical flow of goods, it's also the information flow. You know, I can't tell you how many articles we're reading right now that say, hey, you need to be talking to your tier three suppliers and providing them information. And, and so, you know, if you think about the concept of this web, you know, if your operation's in the center and, and the left half of the web is, is supply and the right half is demand, you know, figuring out, well, what can go around the arc? Um, you know, we're talking about dual sourcing, which, which of the radials do you really need to reinforce um, with, with other options? And, um, and then you think about how if a spider is sitting in the, in the center of this web, that they sense any vibration anywhere in the web. And that's what companies want right now. You want that visibility to know, you know, if I'm essential, but two tiers up, I've got a supplier that's not, what's that going to mean? Or that, that one of them shuts down because of a, of a COVID outbreak. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's a great point. I mean, I think when you look at, you know, what's happening right now is that, you know, I think what, what this crisis is uncovering is the fact that there's so much interdependencies between so many of the different stakeholders um, in, in, in the supply chain, or now let's call it the supply, uh, the supply web. And, you know, a lot of these historical problems, like not having visibility past tier one suppliers, you know, that's having a, you know, those companies that are, you know, blind basically, or, or that's a black hole for them are having the hardest problems right now, um, you know, navigating, you know, through this, through this crisis. And I think, um, you know, we talk a lot about being agile and flexible and responsive. And, and a lot of that really is about finding those opportunities where you can operate in a more, um, uh, you know, less linear way, right? Um, you know, a less serial way where you can actually skip some steps, right? Do a DC bypass, for example, drop shipping, like you talked about, um, direct to consumer, whatever the case might be. There's so many now permutations that are, that are possible uh, to, again, 
uh, you know, bring down costs, bring down time, be, be able to respond to any kind of disruptions in a, in a more intelligent way. And I think that's going to require, again, like you said, thinking about it, not from a kind of a linear step-by-step -step approach, not only physically, as you said, you know, the, the movement of goods in a, in a linear way, but also the movement of information. You know, I think one of the things that we've talked about in the industry now for some time as part of this digital transformation that everyone's been talking about is the, the ability to provide more transparency mm -hmm. um, to everyone that, that, that are key stakeholders in the end-to-end -end process. And, uh, you know, rather than be waiting for information to get to you is being able to expose that information, you know, in a, in a more real-time, you know, manner so that everyone's making, you know, smarter decisions faster, right? Yeah, and, and you think about, you know, um, for, for companies that maybe they did have to sh shut down a, a DC or something for, for one reason or another in a particular area of the country, you know, having those really strong partnerships that uh, they could step in and say, well, hey, okay, now maybe we do drop ship and you're being able to maintain a lot of that top line revenue to keep everything going, but really leveraging, you know, partners. Right, right. You know, and I think what, one of the things that we're seeing right now is companies almost standing up completely new supply chains and or supply webs, if you will, um, from scratch, right? So you've seen companies, you know, you, certainly you've seen kind of the automotive companies, you know, building ventilators, right? So now it's completely raw, different raw materials coming in, different end customers in terms of hospitals and medical centers and, and so forth. And, and they're doing this, you know, relatively quickly, right? In response to, you know, the current crisis. But I think if you, if you kind of expand that, I think that's a model that might be, you know, uh, you know, how do you create that in a sustainable way so that you're able, not in a crisis environment, but more from a business opportunity standpoint, to be able to stand up a supply chain, a supply web very quickly to take advantage of a market opportunity, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, and I hope this, if we can find a bright spot in all of this of, you know, we, we've seen people stepping up and being more neighborly and, and really trying to take care of everyone. And we've talked about collaboration in the supply chain for a long time, but maybe now's the time that we, we really are going to look at how do we keep it balanced? You know, how do, how do we truly be good partners with our suppliers and our customers? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so then, you know, I guess the, 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 the next logical question is, you know, how do you begin this transformation from a supply chain to a supply web? I mean, what, what are some of the key steps? I think you have to literally map map your supply network and your customer network. Um, you know, maybe it's bringing in a partner, maybe you've got the resources internally, but actually start interrogating. That's a horrible word to use on this, but, um, you know, talking to your vendors and sharing information to find out about their vendors um, and, and figuring out, you know, what... Um, what information can you share? What are you comfortable? And then go through a modeling exercise. You know, understand um, not only, you know, cost and service, but risk. And so what, what are really the important things to evaluate? And uh, how are you going to, you know, weight some of these different measures that maybe we wouldn't have done before uh, to determine where do you need to enhance um, uh, relationships or where do you have visibility gaps and then develop a plan um, 
develop some contingency plans, you know, talking about the essential and these stand-up supply webs. Um, do you have a plan for what would you do if your primary, you know, demand drops? Um, so I think it's, it's a lot of really reinforcing your relationships, mapping them out, and developing a contingency plan to address these, these crazy times. You know, you, 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 when you talk about supply chain mapping, I mean, that's something that we've written about as well. Actually, we did uh, some research on that uh, with our Indago research community earlier this year. And, you know, I guess not surprising, you know, we, we asked a question, I mean, do you know where the, um, the, the physical location of the plants or the sourcing locations of, of your suppliers, tier one, tier two, and tier three? And, you know, I guess not surprising, you know, most of the respondents, I think over three quarters said that they knew the physical location of the facilities of their tier one suppliers. But then when you went to tier two and three, three, you know, that uh, percentage went, uh, went down. But then we asked the follow-up question, which was, well, it's one thing to know where those physical locations are, but do you actually know what's produced, which ones, which parts or raw materials are actually produced at each of those locations. And again, the percentages were higher for tier one versus tier two and tier three, but those percentages were lower, right? Than even the, you know, so they may know where the facilities are, but they may not necessarily know what's actually, what components or parts or, or raw materials are actually produced at those facilities. So I think that to your point, I think that's one of those areas where, you know, it's kind of a logical starting point. It's not something that's easy to do, um, but it's something that's been long overdue, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, there, there's lots of opportunities there that, that you may uncover, but you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, even with a lot of the, the network design type projects I've done, you know, understanding where they're getting their components um, coming in, especially if they're coming in from overseas, you know, are you really sure which country? And then not only that, which port are they coming through? And particularly if they're coming in prepaid, you know, um, can't tell you how many is going back to our other conversation, but um, the, the address for the suppliers downtown Chicago. Yeah, probably not on the 30th floor, you know. No, that's a, that's a great point. And that's something that actually one of our members and Dago members said as part of that research, they said, you know, what they found was in their ERP system, the address that they had in the ERP system was for like the headquarters, not for mm -hmm. the actual manufacturing plant or facility where their products are actually, uh, you know, produced or, or sourced from. So, um, uh, so I think that is a, a good starting point. I think when you talk about contingency plans, you know, um, you know, for a lot of companies historically, that's, that's been another area that they've fallen short on because they've kind of treated risk management as kind of this project, you know, a one-off type of thing. So something like this happens, this pandemic happens, they put a team together, they figure out, okay, where did we go wrong? What could we have done better? They put to, together a report, they put it in a binder, then they put that binder up on a shelf <laughs> and then they forget about it, right? And so mm -hmm. the next, you know, disruption occurs and then everyone's taking off the binders and dusting it off. But I think the companies that are really, you know, uh, uh, ahead of the curve are those that are really treating this as an ongoing business process. Do you see the same? Mm -hmm. I hope so, you know, but yeah, I'm used to that shelfware, you know, that, that it just goes up on the shelf because either the change was hard or wow, this, this really cost a lot. Um, but, you know, again, I think the low cost solution anymore is not where we want to be. Um, because 
we have to be able to protect that top line. You still have to be able to, to get it out. If you can't even get your product out to bring in the, the, the top line, it doesn't really matter how much cost you're cutting out. That, that's right. That's right. I think the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction in these times is to tighten a belt and, and cut as much cost as possible. And I think, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of companies fall into that trap. And it's understandable why they fall into that trap. But at the same time, I think in, from past history, it's those companies that also continue to invest in innovation, continue mm -hmm. to invest in the future are those that, you know, when the, you know, we turn the corner on these things, they're the ones that are, you know, much better positioned and shaped to, you know, really come back up uh, than those that only focus on cost cutting and like a lot of people stopped investing in technology, you know, didn't maintain their relationships as, we, as you just talked about and, and so forth. Um, so, you know, that, that leads me to, I guess, to another question. I mean, is, is managing a supply web different than managing a supply chain? And, and if so, you know, what's required from like a people and, and technology standpoint? You know, th there's a part of me that says um, it's not that much different and other than you've got a whole lot more options. But I think you've got to be prepared to be more transparent. You've got to be providing more communication. And then you've got to have the technology uh, to do that. Um, you know, go, going back uh, in my past, the retailer I was with, they had a portal that suppliers could log into and look at what their products were doing in particular store. So they could really get real-time demand sensing, but not everybody has that. And so how do you develop that? How do you share the information? Um, how do you get the information back from them, um, and, and then how do you use it? You know, I've been, oddly enough, playing the beer game a lot lately, um, and I don't mean the one with quarters, but, um, you know, we've, we've really been, you know, playing these games and looking at what does it mean when you don't have visibility? What does it mean to the, to the manufacturer that he doesn't know all of a sudden the retailer went crazy toilet paper, you know, and, and jacked up their demand. And all of a sudden he's just going to be out of stock and backordered uh, where they understood what was going on there. Everybody could react better. And so, you know, I think it does come back to that partnership and that for the benefit of everyone, um, you know, maybe for, for one particular, you know, person playing in that supply web, they don't have the lowest cost, but overall everyone's winning. And so therefore long-term everyone would win. Right, right. Yeah, that's great. I, I, you know, that beer game is a, is a classic game and it's a great example of the bullwhip effect, which I think, mm -hmm. which is very, you know, we, we definitely saw with, you know, toilet paper and, and other things, you know, in supermarkets, you know, uh, over this, this uh, period now. Um, so, so then how do you, how do you measure, you know, success then? I mean, in other words, I mean, what are the benefits of adopting a, so uh, supply web perspective and, and approach, and, and can you give some examples? Now, I think the, the biggest benefit is gonna be you can maintain your operation, that you can react to disruptions, either in, you know, from a customer perspective in the, in the way of increased or decreased demand, as well as disruption um, you know, on your supplier base. So you know, if you had all of your suppliers in China and all of a sudden a port shut down, you know, can you react to that? Um, if you're dual sourcing in multiple geographies, albeit maybe not at the lowest cost, 
Well, but you, you're able to maintain operations because you've developed those relationships. And so, you know, the, the first, you know, success factor would be continuity of business. Um, and so the, the other ones I, I think would be the enhanced visibility. If you are really able to sense and react, even in non-disruptive times, you know, that's what's going to be the big benefit uh, of this. And of course, um, you know, ultimately is, is with all business, um, top line revenue and, and bottom line revenue, you know, you can't leave those out. Um, but but kind of like we said a minute ago, if, if you can't sell, it doesn't matter how much cost you cut. Right, right. Yeah. So I mean, it, you know, it still comes down to having that, that visibility and that transparency and being able to you know, provide that in a more real-time basis to, you know, the extended, you know, stakeholders across the, you know, the, the web that you've, uh, you know, put together. It comes down to relationships. Uh, and yes, business continuity. I mean, I think, you know, being able to, I think, you know, we've always talked about, you know, the importance of being flexible and agile and responsive, like I said before. And I think, you know, this is where um, in these types of environments that we're in today, it's, it's really where you clearly see why that's, that's so important because it's been those companies that have been able to, you know, quickly turn that ship, uh, quickly turn that corner and keep their business going as best they can, you know, or at a minimum better than the competitors, you know, at least, you know, to capture market share and, and continue to keep their, their people safe, their people employed, uh, keep their, their suppliers uh, healthy and their customers you know, and supporting their customers. I mean, I think those are the ones that are going to come out of all of this, you know, as, as strong as, um, as strong as possible. Um, so, so John, you know, as a way to, you know, wrap up, I mean, are there other, um, you know, trends that manufacturers and retailers should, should keep on their radar screen to, you know, keep driving change, keep innovating and improving their supply chains. I mean, their, their supply webs. <laughs> So, you know, I think that the, one of the big things is investing in technology and leveraging the advanced analytics that, that are coming in, into vogue, you know, being able to leverage AI and, and what that means and, and more sensing. Um, you know, on our, uh, I was on a webinar recently and, and someone made the comment that companies coming out of this will see more return on investing in technology and data than they will in infrastructure. You know, we've got a lot of infrastructure to, to work with uh, throughout the supply web, um, but having the technology to really analyze it and, um, you know, capitalize on it when you think, okay, well, forecasting isn't going to work anymore, you know, maybe, but... Um, you know, and, and I, you know, we've talked a lot about the essential versus non-essential, so I won't beat that horse. Um, but the other one, I think specifically for retailers, is that fulfillment option. Um, you know, when early in my career, I was growing up in, in, the, uh, in the paradigm that, well, if it's not on the shelf, you can't sell it. So we have really small back rooms. Well, with, with where we are with, with e-commerce and buy online and pick up on the curb or, you know, ship to home, does that paradigm really hold true anymore? Um, you know, maybe a back room with inventory is not a bad thing compared to having someone push in a cart and take something off a shelf somebody else put on the shelf to, to fulfill it another way for a customer. So I think, you know, really looking at those fulfillment options and determining, 
how to best leverage the brick and mortar that they have um, is going to be critical um, as they move forward. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, I think I know uh, I, I've talked to some retailers, uh, folks that have come from the retail industry, and they've said, you know, when stores, you know, particularly if they're non-essential retailers, if they've been deemed non-essential, the stores are closed, um, but they have all this inventory in there, right? So maybe customers can't go in, but maybe they will be allowed to fulfill orders from all that inventory that's there at the stores, but they didn't have the, the, the capabilities, the technology, the know-how to be able to do that, right? So you've got all this trapped uh, inventory in stores all across the country that can be used to fulfill orders, but because they weren't uh, you know, uh, up the maturity curve from an e-commerce or, or fulfill from store standpoint, you know, they're, they're hurting versus those that have been able to, you know, they already were down that path where they were able to you know, fulfill orders from stores or be able to stand it up relatively quickly, um, you know, are the ones that are, uh, to your point, being able to keep that top line going mm-hmm. despite, you know, the, the environment that, that we're in. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think we could probably talk for, you know, another hour on, on you know, on this whole topic of, you know, of supply webs and what that means. But I think the bottom line for me is that, you know, part of, of supply chains for a better tomorrow is that we have to change our perspectives in, in terms of the way we've traditionally looked at what we've called supply chains and look at it from a different lens, and, you know, to use your terminology, a supply web standpoint. So really looking at it through a different, you know, lens. Um, part of it is unlearning, perhaps some of the things that we, we learned were best practices or leading practices five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, may, that may not be no longer uh, appropriate or aligned with, you know, with the operating realities. So I think those two things are, are critical along with the things that we always talk about, you know, enhanced visibility and leveraging BI and analytics to be able to make these smarter and faster, you know, business decisions. So, uh, John, again, thank you very much for being with us today and, and sharing your insights and, and ideas and great food for thought for all of our listeners. I appreciate it. Always, always enjoy it, Adrian. Great. I want to thank those of you that joined us. If you're watching this episode on demand, either at the Transportation Insight uh, website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for John, you can post it there. and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.